0: Well, hey friends, welcome back to the show. We've got a new name and a new cover photo, Life with Tina. So you guys know we changed our YouTube channel name here recently and rebranded everything. Getting ready for our big move to Alaska here in just a few short months, I cannot believe it's right around the corner this recording today is in may and we are leaving for alaska to the new homestead in october so it's coming up quick and to get ready for that joe and i had it on our hearts for quite some time now to kind of rebrand all of our things our youtube channel all of that to represent more of like the alaska homestead which is where we are retiring so we just got done doing that and with that I also wanted to update the podcast name from "Blessed and Beautiful Homestead" to "Life with Tina." Um, I didn't really want to keep home, you know, "Home Free Alaska" is the new name for the channel. I didn't want to keep that for the podcast as well, because while the podcast is about homesteading topics, it's also about more than that. And to me, the podcast is kind of like a behind closed doors look into our family and some of the things that we deal with on the homestead as a family that we might not share on the YouTube channel. So I thought, what can I name the podcast that would make sense for the content that I share here? And I was like, life with Tina is perfect because that encompasses everything. That encompasses homesteading and, and my gardening and my cooking and my canning and all the preserving, but it also encompasses everything else that goes along with life. Mothering, marriage, dealing with cultural uh, issues. So I thought Life with Tina was a perfect new name for the podcast. I hope you guys like it. So today we are doing a part two To raw milk. I did a podcast. The last episode was um, the part one to this. And I was just talking about my experiences with dairy animals on the homestead and also growing up with a dairy animal, kind of how I got introduced into the life of dairy animals and what that looked like for me as a homesteader, my first time having a cow, uh, the process with milking and calfing and even milking sheep that we had here on the homestead. So, That was part one. Today, we're gonna chat just a little bit more about the same things, um, but more on the breeding side, what that looked like for us, what we chose to do on our homestead with a bull or artificial insemination, and just a little bit more about the benefits of raw milk and what you can do with all of that beautiful, fresh, raw milk. My name is Tina. I'm the host of this podcast show and also the creator of the YouTube channel, Home Free Alaska, where we share from scratch recipes, school life inspiration and our homesteading journey with you. This podcast is a spin-off of our channel, a behind-the-scenes look into our life on the homestead. Raw and unfiltered, I share my thoughts on motherhood, marriage, our culture, and our spiritual pursuit as believers. Thanks for joining me. Now let's get on with today's show. So if you missed the last episode, I will link it for you in the video, in the video, I'm so used to YouTube, in the description for this podcast show, so you can go back and take a listen to that if you missed the first episode. We left off talking about my dairy cow, Gracie. I had a Jersey cow on our first homestead, and what an experience that was. So we had... Two calves from Gracie and lots and lots of fresh raw milk. And it was a lot of fun. And I created a bunch of beautiful things in the kitchen for the homestead cheese and yogurt and butter, and it was just endless the things that we could do with all of that fresh raw milk that we had on hand. One of the things I wanted to talk about today was breeding our Jersey cow, like how we did that. When we first got Gracie, she was already pregnant. We bought her from a farmer and she was already pregnant. So we didn't have to worry about getting her pregnant the first time. She came that way. Like I said in the first episode, it was a twofer. We got a a cow and a calf with our purchase. So I thought that was great. But then when it came around for the next breeding season, Joe and I really had to kind of think how do we want to do this? Like, do we want to uh, do artificial insemination? Do we want to load Gracie up and take her to another farm that has a Jersey bull and breed her that way? Or do we want to have a bull on our own homestead? There was a lot to think about. And you know, we were first time homesteaders. We have never, we had never homesteaded before this farm. And you know, you guys know we're military. We moved around a lot. The only thing we ever had was a chicken coop with like five chickens. So this was all really new to us. And The first time that we had to breed Gracie, we decided to go ahead and have the vet come out and do artificial insemination. So it just seemed easier. Since I didn't really feel like we had a clue about what we were doing yet, the vet did, right? So we had the vet come out and he did artificial insemination with Gracie, which was a fairly simple process. He uh, it was quite interesting. You know, they put the big plastic glove on all the way up to their shoulder and they go to work with their tools and everything. It was it was done and over within just a few minutes and we were so lucky the first time Gracie took and she became pregnant from that. So that was a great experience. We were able to go online, the vet gave us a reputable breeder uh, where we could choose the type of semen that we wanted to breed Gracie with. So you can breed them with, you know, whatever whatever you choose. There are some parameters that the vet will kind of guide you. Um, for instance, when we bred Gracie through artificial insemination, we didn't want to breed her with a Jersey bull. And the reason that we didn't is we wanted to try, you know, the calves, we were planning on keeping them and raising them for meat to put in the freezer. So we thought, why don't we breed her with an Angus cow so that we can have more of like a meat breed? And that's what we did. And we just had to ensure when we chose the Angus semen from this website, from this breeder, that we chose one that had ease of calving in the remarks for that, Uh, bull. So obviously an Angus cow is a lot bigger than a Jersey. So you want to make sure that you're not breeding that cow with a semen that is going to give her a baby that is way too big for her to deliver safely. So those are just things that you want to look at when you're looking into the semen and the vet can help guide you uh, with that. And they definitely did that for us because I wouldn't have known that. So we bred Gracie with a Angus cow, big beautiful angus uh, bull i should say and um you know ease of calving it was spot on because gracie delivered that baby which was sarah with absolutely no issues her her delivery was just flawless and she was such a good mama so while this was going on joe and i came across oh my goodness you guys we came across a craigslist ad we had been kicking around the idea of getting our own bull for the homestead for me, I just thought that's, you know, I, I'm kind of like, I want to try to do as much as we can from our own homestead without having to go and outsource things. I'm like that with everything, which is why we incubate our own chicken eggs. So instead of me having to go down a tractor supply or some chicken breeder, every time I need to replenish my laying hens my flock i just incubate chicken eggs every year or i have you know if i'm lucky enough to have a broody hen or two that will hatch them for me that's even better right but that's kind of my look on everything obviously We are not completely 100% self-sufficient, not even close, but there's a lot of areas that we have found that we can be very self-sufficient in. And so we kind of hang on to those and that's what we do. So for me, I was very intrigued by the idea of having our own bull on the homestead. Lots of different opinions on this. A lot of people said, oh, trust me, you don't want a bull. They're out of control. They're hard to handle. They can be aggressive, all these things. And for me, it's funny because it just went in one year and out the other. I wanted a bull. I wanted to be able to breed on my own, on my homestead without having to outsource it either from another farmer or from a vet. So we started kind of looking around Craigslist for a Jersey bull, um, And we came across an ad that was was just that. They had baby jerseys that had just been born. They were like two or three days old. Now, again, you guys, I did not know any better. Like, this just goes to show, you learn so much as you go, but you learn by doing. You don't learn by sitting back and just, you know, some people get trapped in that cycle of research. Well, I'll start gardening once I know everything about gardening. I'll start gardening once I know how to make the perfect soil. I'll start gardening, you know, all these things, or I'll get chickens once I learn. And it's like, you can get into this spiral of feeling like you have to have all the knowledge. You have to know everything before you can step out and start something. And in reality, that's gonna waste a lot of your time. You're wasting time when you can just get the basics. Obviously there are things you need to know to make sure that you can take care of the animal properly, what they need, or even your garden, right? Nobody likes to waste a bunch of money on seeds and everything and preparing raised beds and all this just to find out that they didn't even know the basics about good soil and so all their seedlings died and it was a waste of time and money. So there's obviously, a good amount of research that I would recommend that you do, but just don't get trapped in that spiral of just feeling like you've got to know everything before you can start something. And I am a big, uh, I'm an example of that because I have made a lot of mistakes, some of which I'm like, okay, yeah, I should have done a little bit more research on that. But as far as our uh, our bowl, you know, we we made the decision that we wanted to go ahead and have our own bull on the homestead. So we saw this ad and it was like, I think it was a hundred bucks per calf. And I'm like, let's go get one. We can go get one. He was three days old. And my thought was, if we got him young enough, we could raise him on the homestead and he would be more friendly and not as aggressive. So when we went to this dairy farmer, and this was a big dairy farmer up in richmond virginia what happens and it's so sad at these large industrial dairy farms when these cows these dairy cows have their calf if they're a male calf they have no need for them like absolutely no need so they sell them off they either sell them off to people that want to um, you know, butcher them for veal or they sell them off for whatever, just like this add on Craigslist, right? They had all these male calves that they did not need. And so they throw them on Craigslist super cheap. And unfortunately, these calves are stripped from their mothers much too young. It is the saddest thing I have ever seen. I've seen videos of this. And for people to say, well, they're just cows. No, they. I, I have personally seen my cow and how she is with her calf and i'll tell you guys instinctively intuitively it's no different than i was with my children that instant connection is there that nurturing ability that need to protect is there and that is how god designed um, mothers to be, whether it's a human or a cow, and so you know they they rip these calves away from their moms immediately. They don't get to stay with their moms at all because the farmer needs the milk. They don't want the calf drinking the milk, so they strip the calf from the mother and they immediately sell them a lot of times these calves are kept in really terrible living conditions. There's a lot of them kept in one pen. They're walking around in their own feces. They don't get the amount of colostrum, that first milk, right, that they're supposed to get in the first few hours of life to ensure that they have the immune system that they need to be healthy and safe as they grow. So these little calves are just started out in the life and given the short end of the stick and it's really sad. I didn't know at the time when we bought this calf the extent of what happened with them. I learned this later after doing some research about the bull that we got. So we went up to Richmond and we picked him up. We named him Luke And he was just three days old. You guys, he was so small that we put him in a dog kennel in the back of the truck. And when we got home to the homestead, Joe was able to pick him up, you know, just like you would pick up a dog, like a medium-sized dog, and put him down in the pasture. So that's how small Luke was when we first got him. Immediately, within the first week of having him on the homestead, he had major health issues he started having explosive diarrhea having blood in his diarrhea had scabs all over him that started to form and i mean all over him it looked as if he had mange and i would sit out in that pasture there was a couple times i i thought he was dead i would go out in the morning to check on him and he was completely lifeless well of course i called the vet the vet comes out and they give him medicine and they let me know you know these are diseases and issues that come with these calves because they're kept in terrible living conditions they're not given the colostrum that they desperately need from their moms when they're first born and they did not give us a good outlook for luke in fact we didn't expect him to even live through the first two weeks on the homestead so here i was thinking we were getting this bull doing this great thing for our homestead so that we would have our own breeder and it ended up just being a lot of time put into him and a lot of money and vet costs to to keep him alive the first couple weeks but you know I fell in love with them, and it's it's just who I am so I am happy to report that Lukey uh survived he survived and he became a healthy strong strapping bull for the homestead now as luke grew it's funny because he was like a big dog right we we would go and brush him and all the days i sat out in the pasture when he was sick with him in my lap and joe would wrestle with him like a dog i mean luke really became a big dog right but when he got older and his horns continued to grow and He started getting that testosterone. He did become stronger, and I don't want to say aggressive, because Luke would go to, you know, push us or wrestle with us like he was a little dog. He really thought he was a little dog, but he didn't know his own strength. That was the problem. Never once did that bull charge at anyone in our family, um ever. He never tried to charge us or run us down or hurt us or do anything like that. I don't even think Luke knew that he had the ability to do that. He just thought he was our baby. But he was massive. He was probably uh, got up to 1,200, 1,300 pounds with big horns. You know, he was a big bull. So the problem was he was also curious and mischievous and just had a personality on him like a little teenager. Um, If you didn't give him what he wanted, he would go over and rustle his horns in the fence. He broke Gracie's stanchion gate off of her stanchion. In fact, my very first YouTube video that I did, um, it was about us fixing the stanchion because Luke had ripped the gate off of it and trampled the gate. So he broke through the fence one time, got into the neighbor's yard. My neighbor called me petrified. She had this bull in her yard. Now here Luke was just like, I'm getting me some fresh grass. I don't know what you're talking about. But of course she sees this bull in her yard with horns and she's like, Tina, your cows got out. So and it's funny because we were actually 45 minutes away getting Lexi's wisdom teeth taken out. And I had to send my grandpa over to their property to round up Luke and get him back in the pasture. But it it definitely became um, a burden to have Luke on the homestead. You know, Joe was and still is active duty military for the next five months at least, Whoop um, until he retires. And for Joe to work all day long and come home to fix the issues that Luke had caused, breaking the fencing, things like that, it became a lot for us. And we started thinking maybe having a bowl on our homestead wasn't the best for us. We had a small homestead. We had had 18 acres, but only three of it was cleared. So we had about three acres that was cleared that included where our house sat and then also our pastures and our our animal shelters and the milk, milk stanchion and all that good stuff. So it wasn't a large area. And by the time Luke was grown, let's see, we had Gracie, we had Titus, which was Gracie's first calf. And then we also had Sarah, which was Gracie's second calf. And now we had Luke. So we had four cows on this, 3 acre homestead and they didn't even get the whole 3 acres like I just described. So um separating the cows, making sure that Luke wasn't with Gracie during a time that we didn't want her pregnant and just kind of keeping the separate pastures, all the things, it really became overwhelming for us. And those are things that I wish that I would have thought out a little bit better uh before we decided to get Luke, but In the end, we decided that we were gonna go ahead and take him to the meat processor and put him in the freezer because he just became unmanageable. Um, I actually had to get one of those like, um, I don't know what you call them because we've never really had horses but they're like just the little horse whips that you can like you know pop the horse uh, in the back of the butt when they're not listening. Not beating them. Please don't email me and tell me that I beat my cow. But if you got you know 12, 1300 pounder pounded bull that you're dealing with. You need to have a stick or something that um you can kind of keep them in line with or if they try to come at you. And like I said, Luke never came at me to try to hurt me. He just didn't realize that he was so strong and those horns can do some damage, right? so we it got to the point where if i went into the pasture with him i did had to to take a stick i did have to take a stick or the little whip with me and sometimes i would just whip it on the ground and the sound of it would be he'd be like oh she ain't messing around but the reality was i would not let parker in a pasture alone with luke because that was too unpredictable luke was unpredictable and that was not okay for me And when Joe was gone, you know, out of town for work for a few days here and there, if there was an issue, I had to deal with those things on my own. And sometimes that got hard with Luke. I, you know, if he would allow me to lead him on with the halter and the lead, the halter and the lead, that was perfectly fine. But when he was being stubborn and having one of his bad days, I couldn't move that bull I I could not, I could hook him up to the truck and move him maybe, (laughs) but there was no way that I, with my own muscle strength, was going to move that cow across the pasture. So we decided to take him to the processor and I'll tell you guys what, that sucked. That whole experience was horrible Um, because... We didn't buy Luke to be meat for the freezer. We bought him to be a breeder. And because of that, we allowed ourselves to grow attached to him in a way that we wouldn't have necessarily if we knew that he was going to become meat for our family. So that was a very emotional thing, getting him in the trailer, driving him 40 minutes to the processor, and leaving him. And I think one of the most heartbreaking things ever when Joe led him back into where the meat processor keeps them right until they process them or dispatch them. Hmm. You guys, Joe didn't even have to put a lead on him. Luke just followed Joe right in there because, you know, Joe was like, dad, (laughs) that's how Luke looked at Joe. So that was hard. That was really hard. And I struggled like I struggled with that for a few days um, it was like losing our dog you know we had had him for a good I'd say a good year year-and-a-half at the time that we took him to the processor but I will tell you guys it was also our first time ever uh, having a cow butchered and packing our freezer with fresh meat and when they called me to come pick up the meat it completely filled up the back of my SUV they package out package it all up you know they cut it into the cuts that you want ground beef all that good stuff and I was so sad that we lost Luke, but I was so grateful for his life and what he gave to our family. We were still eating that meat up until we just sold the homestead property last fall. And with the rest of the meat that we had left, I went ahead and did a big batch of beef jerky with that. And I did a video on how to make beef jerky on the YouTube channel. So, you know, I think going into it again, I don't think that I would get a bull I I just don't think I would. I think that it's easier to just call the vet and say, hey, can you come artificially inseminate? Here at the time that we were artificially, artificially inseminated, Gracie, I think it was like 89 bucks or something like that. And of course it depends on where you are and what your vet charges. But once a year, $89 or so for the vet to come out and just handle it and it's done, it was a lot easier. So I think that we'll, we'll just go that route in the future if we ever do another dairy cow. So, but the whole process of breeding and, you know, having the calves on the farm was so much fun you know the vet would come out and do an ultrasound and you know we would all sit around the stanchion and wait to hear was gracie pregnant and then the birth oh my gosh you guys that never gets old it it just never gets old and it's just a great way for your children to learn the process of reproduction you know what is sex what is birth? How do babies come into the world? Like how are babies made? Like if you don't know how to talk to your kids, like go get a farm. (laughs) Parker has seen enough of that. You know, the rooster with this hen, the bull with this cow. So there's just never any questions to that. So it sure did make my talks with Parker a lot easier. So just to talk for a few minutes about raw milk. Raw milk, for those of you that don't know, and most of you probably do if you're listening to this uh, podcast, because you know this is a homesteading show for the most part. Um, raw milk is essentially not pasteurized, right? So it comes straight out of the cow, into the bucket, through a simple filter just to filter out any hair, hay, whatever, and then it goes right into your jars into a cold refrigerator. That's it, it is not pasteurized. Now, there is this is such a controversial topic you've got the pro-raw milk people and you've got the anti-raw milk people right the anti-raw milk people are like raw milk is disgusting not pasteurizing it can make you sick you can have it can have bacteria in it and my thought as a pro raw milk drinker is yes it does have bacteria in it it is loaded with healthy bacteria and probiotics that are good for your gut and you guys our immune system starts in our gut so if you have a healthy gut you're gonna have a better chance at fighting off viruses and sicknesses and all the things that we encounter Encounter in our life. So to me, raw milk can be dangerous, yes, if it is not handled and processed in a sanitary way, but store-bought pasteurized milk can be dangerous. And for me personally, I just like knowing where my milk is coming from. And from that milk, we get our butter and our yogurt and some of our cheeses. So it's it just gives me a sense of peace knowing that I know how that cow was raised. I know how it was living, its living conditions, what it was being fed. I know how it was milked out. I know I sanitize all my jars, all my milking equipment. My hands are clean. The udder and the teats are clean before I start milking. I mean, all these things that we put into place to ensure that we don't get any kind of bad, you know, things in the milk as we're milking the cow and processing it. But, you know, to me, these industrial dairy farms, you've got, you know, hundreds of cows, right? And they're lined up getting milked out. And all this milk from these milky machines goes into a big, huge bin. So you've got milk from thousands of cows in this one bin that's being, you know, processed and pasteurized and put into these jugs and sold at the grocery store so the milk that you're getting and I said this in the last podcast the milk that you're getting um, it's not milk just from one cow it's milk from hundreds and hundreds of cows essentially and to me I know that sometimes the cow can get a little cut on her teeth from maybe the calf uh you know biting on her teeth, You know how it is, mama's right, when you're breastfeeding. Um, or laying down on the ground, she might get scratched from a stick and maybe there's a cut there. What I'm trying to say is with my cow milking her every day, I can catch that quickly and I can address that wound and that issue properly and handle the milk accordingly. Sometimes uh, there was times Gracie would get a nick on her teat from the calf's tooth and it would be a pretty deep wound that I had to put utter balm on for a few days to help it heal. And I didn't want, I, I couldn't milk that teat into my milk jug because it would it would basically rip that wound right open again if I was squeezing and milking that teat, right? So I would gently milk that teat out, but that milk I would give to the pigs because if I happened to break open that scab a little bit and there was even a chance of blood or anything getting into that milk, I didn't wanna drink that. And I didn't wanna give that milk to my family. Uh, so that milk from that teat, whether it was infected with mastitis, which we we did have with Gracie a couple of times, or there was an open wound or something, that milk would go to the pigs. And I would only keep the milk for our family that came from the three teats that were healthy. So as the milker, as the homesteader with my one cow, I was able to carefully manage that process and know exactly what we were getting. You don't know that when you're drinking the milk from these industrial farms. If, if there's a cow that's got the onset of mastitis or a cut in her teat and she's bleeding with that milking machine on her, because those milking machines are not gentle the way that you can be more gentle with your hand, right? So you're essentially, you can be getting blood. You can be getting infection from the bacteria from the mastitis. I mean, yuck, right? So yes, There are dangers with drinking raw milk, just as there are dangers with drinking pasteurized milk from the grocery store. In my opinion, it's all the way that it's handled and the way that it's processed. And you can only be sure of how that's being done if you're doing it yourself. Now, some of the benefits of raw milk, I mean, You know, raw milk advocates argue that it is a complete natural food containing more amino acids and antimicrobials and vitamins, minerals, and fatty acids than even pasteurized milk. So they claim that it's a better choice even for people that are lactose intolerant, people that have asthma and autoimmune and allergic conditions. So you'll find sometimes people that can't drink store-bought pasteurized milk can drink raw milk. And they can drink it with no issues so raw milk is also not homogenized homogenized milk that you get from the grocery store essentially the cream has been removed from the milk right but raw milk is not homogenized it doesn't go through the process of removing that cream so especially with the Jersey cow you guys oh my goodness in the height of milking season there were times I would argue we had five close to six inches of a cream line. And you take all that cream off the milk and you can make butter and sour cream and whipped cream and all kinds of delicious stuff for your kitchen. I mean, just spoon it into your coffee. It is amazing. So carefully produced raw milk has numerous health advantages to it whereas pasteurized milk doesn't and the problem with pasteurizing the milk at such a high heat you're boiling out all the nutrients that is good from the milk so it's really kind of sad like breast milk raw milk is a living whole food which provides excellent nutrition along with health supporting enzymes and like I said probiotics so it's just a superior it has a superior nutrient profile, I guess we could say. Whereas pasteurized milk, it's got this diminished nutrition with denatured proteins and fats. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things. You've got to make the decision that's best for you and your family. And I don't think any way is the wrong way. Um, right now, we're living in this apartment for five months before we moved to Alaska. And I am further from the farmer where I was getting my raw milk. And so we've just been getting organic milk from the grocery store. Not my number one choice, but it's a better choice than non-organic. Um, and so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using grocery store milk. I'm just here to advocate that having your own dairy animal, it's an amazing thing. And you're really doing some really great health things for your body and for your family. It's funny because just like when a mom is breastfeeding, you know, her baby's getting everything that, that she's getting, essentially it's going through her, her milk to the baby. and. One time I milked Gracie in the middle of the afternoon and I had let her out of her pasture into another pasture where we had a lot of garlic chives. So we had just a ton of garlic chives naturally growing up right in the pasture. And I milked Gracie and the next day, you know, after the milk was chilled and everything, I got a big glass for something and I'm like, oh my goodness, the milk tasted like garlic onions. It was absolutely horrible. So, you know, it's very true. Your, the milk from your cow is going to taste different uh, depending on what you're feeding her. You know, she's getting that alfalfa, depending on what she's eating, that milk is going to taste a little bit Uh, different each time now of course we learned not to let Gracie in that pasture anymore while the garlic chives were growing and she was in milk because we didn't like the milk that tasted like garlic onions so um, but raw milk you guys is so sweet and creamy and rich and I learned to do butter which is one of the easiest things to do you just separate the cream and I throw my cream in my KitchenAid mixer on the counter cover it with the towel for about 15-20 minutes, let it go and mix, and you'll come back to butter. And what you have left over in the bowl is also buttermilk. So it's just the easiest thing to make. You guys have probably seen where you put them in a mason jar, put the cream in a mason jar, shake it, shake it, shake it like they did back in the old days. And it is true. I have done that with the kids. Definitely gave us muscle failure, not a way that I would want to you know, make my milk every week for sure. But it was something fun for the kids to do and to see, wow, this is how milk forms. The fat separates from the buttermilk. Oops, I meant to say butter there. That's how the butter forms. So uh, butter was just easy, great way to use up all that cream. And what I did is I got uh, silicone soap molds off of Amazon, just little rectangular silicone soap molds. And when I would make my butter... I would put them, I would put it in those soap molds, put it on a cookie sheet and put it in the freezer to dry. And then when they were frozen, or put it in the freezer to freeze, excuse me. And once they were frozen, I would pop them out and we would package them up in the vacuum sealer. But you would just have all these individual little blocks of butter, just like you get from the grocery store. So it was just a great way to keep it um, long term. And then of course, I had a little bit in a butter bell that I kept on the counter all the time for you know, toast in the morning for breakfast and things like that when you need soft butter. The other thing that I make a lot with my raw milk is yogurt. That's a regular staple in our family. Um, And I've got a couple videos. I actually have videos for all this stuff on my YouTube channel. If you go to the playlist In the Kitchen with Tina, I've got how to make butter, how to do, yogurt, how to do dream cheese. Like there's just so many fun things that you can make with raw milk. And mozzarella cheese is another super easy cheese that you can make for your family. And I would make, you know, I'd say softball size balls of mozzarella, and then I would vacuum seal it and put it in the freezer, and it kept just fine. So whenever I was gonna make like cheesy bread or needed mozzarella for pizza, I would set it out and let it defrost, and it grated up just like store-bought cheese, but tasted even better. But the yogurt, I've got a recipe for how to make yogurt with an Instapot because if you have an Instapot, it's got a yogurt setting on there, which makes things awesome. Everything's done in that one pan, super easy cleanup. But then I also have a recipe for those of you that might not have an Instapot. How do you make yogurt? How do you incubate it? Um, For me personally, I incubate my yogurt in my food dehydrator. It has a yogurt setting on it. But you can also do things like um, putting it in your oven with just the oven light on for eight to 15 hours. And I talk about all that stuff in my video, but there is just countless things. You can do sour cream, you can do cream cheese. Cream cheese is so easy to make as well. So, having raw milk on the farm is a lot of fun. It is helpful if you have pigs (laughs) for those seasons. When you have a little bit too much milk, then you can drink. Um, in your family, you can serve it to the pigs, and in my opinion, it's the circle of life, right? We feed the pigs the milk, we butcher the pigs, we eat the pigs, it's all the circle of life. Now, I just realized that I've got my dog Ollie laying at my feet while I'm doing this podcast, and he snores so bad, (laughs) you guys i am used to it he sleeps in mine and joe's room so i am used to him snoring and i don't even realize it when he's doing it and i just realized he's been snoring so hopefully he hasn't been snoring this whole time and you guys haven't been hearing that in the background of the podcast but if you have i am so sorry uh just in case you're wondering that's what it was ollie snores really really bad but thinking of the homestead in alaska i shared with you guys on the last episode that I do want to get another dairy animal, probably a cow, um, just because the amount of milk that you get is a lot more than when I had the sheep and you pretty much spend about the same amount of time milking. So, um, but as far as like, breeding, I I need to do some research. I know that there's a lot of homesteaders in Alaska. People have cows, people milk their own cows, and so there's gotta be vets up there that do artificial insemination, but that's something I'm gonna have to do research on because I'm not looking to have a bull on the homestead, not even in the slightest. In fact, I venture to say that we will probably have a significantly large chicken coop Um, so we can have our fresh eggs possibly even raise some more turkeys because we really really liked having turkeys on the homestead we are still eating fresh turkey from last fall's um, harvest and ground turkey we got a grinder i mean it's just been amazing and they're easy to keep and it's great meat so definitely a chicken coop and we're going to be doing meat birds once a year like we always do um, even though we plan on fishing and hunting and everything in alaska there is nothing better than having a freezer stocked with fresh meat birds. I mean, you guys, I throw a chicken roast in the oven, make a chicken roast, mashed potatoes and gravy, and a vegetable for dinner, and then I can debone that chicken and I can use it for the next day or two doing like chicken enchiladas, chicken and dumplings, chicken pot pie. I mean, it's like the the chicken, it just never stops giving. And it's something that we love a lot in our family. We're big chicken eaters. So we're definitely going to do meat birds every year um, just as a backup to have protein on the homestead. And I would like to have my dairy animal, but I'm not really looking to have all kinds of other livestock because we don't want to be strapped to the homestead to the point where we can't go hunting for a couple days or go fishing or camping and things like that so definitely some more research to do when we get up there um, first things first we've got to build some pasture fencing and some barns and got to finish all the the things because the only thing on the homestead right now is the cabin so it's really starting from ground zero. We're gonna be building up that homestead from nothing. So it's it's gonna be a lot of work. But as I say, with it, with any animal that you guys are gonna get on the homestead or that you're thinking about getting, or maybe you, want, you see these things on YouTube and Instagram and you wonder if you could ever do that, you know, just do some research and make a list of the pros and cons for each and then do a little research around that. You know, one thing to think about um, if you're looking at getting dairy sheep, sheep are not in milk as long as cows are. So they're only in milk for three to four months, if that. So if you wanna have milk all year long, you kinda need to think about how many sheep are you going to need on your homestead uh, to ensure that you've got milk all year long, right? And then you've gotta stagger their breeding season so that they're lambing at different times. So when this sheep is gonna be drying up, you've got this other one that's getting ready to lamb. So you'll be in milk for the next three months or so. So that's one thing to think about with sheep. They're not in milk as long as cows. That's another thing I love about the cows. So they, you're gonna get milk for almost a year out of them before you dry them off for their next calf. But those are things to think about, how you're gonna breed them. Um, you know, with having a ram on the homestead, that's definitely a little bit more doable than a bull, just because they're a lot smaller. But again they can be unpredictable as well and depending on you know your breed they're gonna have horns and that can be a dangerous situation as well so just think about those things when you're thinking of how you want to build your homestead up what kind of livestock do you want to have and sometimes i get people that email me and they're like you know we just got this homestead and we're so excited and So far, we've got chickens and we've got ducks and we've got peacocks and we've got pigs and we've got sheep and we've got and they just go on and on and on. And it's like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, because who am I to rain on anybody's parade? All I know is from our experience, when we first started the homestead, our first homestead, we did way too much way too fast and we got burnt out. Number one, we did not realize the time and energy that goes into these animals, and we didn't realize the amount of money that it was going to take to keep these animals alive. Because unless you're farming your own hay, uh, you're going to need to get hay from somewhere. You're going to need to get alfalfa, depending on what kind of animal you have, grain, um, vet costs, and medications potentially, things like that. So... Those are things to think about. It, it is expensive. It is time-consuming. So for me, I always stick with the motto, my homestead animals are going to be animals that can give back to the homestead. They're going to earn their keep, right? So our chickens give us eggs. Our meat birds give us meat. Our dairy animals give us milk, cheese, all the things we talked about, and then potentially meat, right? Whether you have sheep or cows, you can raise their young to put up in the freezer. So these are all animals that are gonna give back to your homestead and make the time and money that you put into them worth it. Um, when you're running around spinning all day, cleaning out pastures, milking, watering, breaking frozen ice buckets in the winter time in the freezing cold, when you're spending all that time on the livestock, it becomes really annoying when you're doing that for all these other animals that aren't giving back to the homestead it's a lot so i would just encourage you to write down you know those staple animals that you might want to have on your homestead write out the pros and cons write out what their breeding season looks like their gestation period like what is that actually going to look like for your homestead before you decide to go out and buy a three-day-old calf off of craigslist so anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, just chatting with you guys about uh, livestock and a little bit more discussion about dairy animals and how we bred our cows on the homestead. Um, we were lucky to experience both ways, artificial insemination and breeding with, with Luke. He was a successful breeder for one season with Grace, and her last calf that she had was Ferdinand, and he was a Jersey, a Jersey calf super cute, look just like Luke did. So Luke was a successful breeder. It was just too much for us to handle on our little homestead. So let me know your guys' thoughts and you guys can always email me. Uh, Keep in mind, everything has changed since we rebranded. So now you can reach me at email at homefreealaska at gmail.com. And you can also find me on YouTube Instagram and Facebook at Home Free Alaska. Until next time, you guys stay blessed and I'll see you on the next show.